Welcome to a new episode of Pod Like a Hole. In this episode tonight, the three hosts will be talking about the extended Faith No More discography as well as Mike Patton's career. No, it sounds funny, but I just can't stand the pain. Girl, I'm leaving you tomorrow. season three where we are running the gamut of all of our favorite artists bands and even records uh last episode we had a uh a very lengthy discussion on faith no more's album angel dust where we were thankfully joined by uh one of our longtime uh person who's been working behind the scenes uh, making all the pretty artwork for every episode. Uh, Greg Walgast joined us to give his his thoughts, and it was just great to actually have him on mic. Uh, 
although that episode, which I have yet to start editing, just to give you a little peek behind the curtain, um, I will probably be splitting that one into two episodes or I'm going to really have to uh, take out some of more of my inappropriate jokes uh, in order so that way we can get it under three hours. Even even if you take out the Andrew Dice Mark uh, jokes, it's still going to be long. Uh, but uh, I am Mark. I'm also joined by Steve and Eric. Uh, Steve is who you just heard from. Uh, but tonight we're going to take you a little bit deeper into the hole of Mike Patton. Uh, the man is an Everest of content, and we are definitely packing our backpacks to climb up all of that material. <laughs> But there is going to be uh, an important PSA uh, as we get closer towards the end of this season. Um, you know, we've all done this now for a good like over five years. I think Eric was the one that uh, made that uh, announcement that we had hit the five year mark. And gosh, I mean, I think we're coming close to maybe a hundred, two hundred episodes. Um, and it's been a hell of a ride, but, uh, you know, logistics have made this a little bit more difficult to record more often. Um, I, you know, we all have two young kids. Uh, Eric is more on the teenage side of his parenthood. Uh, Steven, as we all got to hear, you know, the birth of his youngest son, uh, happened, uh, during the recording of this whole project and it's been great but it's not well, I been great meant, for uh, right, Stevens. I thought tonight he was born on air was, uh, <laughs> I don't know why we didn't get a potty for that I said no roll tape and uh, <laughs> we kept going and for, for some reason that didn't rock shoot us to the top of the charts so yeah I mean uh, I was really hoping that we could actually also record the, the conception of that child but uh, you know the wives did not let that happen. Um, but I will say that, uh, I mean, we were probably going to be coming to an end uh, at some point uh, of the show. Um, it's not because of the logistic. It's because, you know, we've we said a lot in the last five years. And I don't even know if we were, were to do another season what we would actually do. Uh, but logistically wise, you know, I don't have the luxury currently in my job to work Monday through Friday, so it's really kind of tossed everything up in the air, um, and when we can all three get on mic, and then you factor in, um, you know, Stephen being a great father and actually wanting to spend time with his kids rather than spend time with Eric and I, it makes a lot of sense for him to uh, take on those dad obligations. We're not ending quite yet. We're gonna end this strong, and uh, but in terms of just the frequency of episodes, things may slow down even more, uh, which isn't yes, we, the worst thing in the world. No, we and plan. I, we plan to, to to finish. Eric, we'll get to you in a second. Um, we plan to finish the same amount of episodes we were going to do. It's just probably gonna take us like a month at a time. We got to find a, a day, once a month, that works for everybody. And folks. Between uh, me trying to do the, the kids in the morning like I have to do, and Mark having to do the things with his kids and, and he has to do, and then Eric being a dungeon master, you'd be surprised how hard it is just to find that perfect night. So, what were you going to say, dungeon master? <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, you know, yes, I have the luxury of, of, of being a, a father to two teenagers, 
So I have nothing but free time. Uh, and I actually have four other podcasts uh, that I'm that I'm that I'm on. So, um, you know, uh, I, you'll all get to this stage one day. I don't even know if that's a joke. Um, I don't even know if that's a joke either. I, are you really on four other <laughs> no, podcasts? Oh God, I mean, it might no. be true. This is it. You're my <laughs> one and only. Surprised. You two are my one and only. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't have the time for that. I don't, I don't have the bandwidth uh, for that. Yeah, no, so it'll probably come out once a month, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, it's whatever. It's uh, it's fine. I think there's seven more records to discuss, or eight. Something in that, and I think, like, six of those are probably Steven's picks. <laughs> I'm being yeah. facetious, but, uh, yeah. Well, I might, yeah, no, I might just uh, do it, record it myself, and then edit in old episodes of you guys. I mean, a busy uh, father um, having to edit. I mean, editing is a job. If anyone's ever dabbled into podcasting, um, it's it's a freaking job. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. But that's just a PSA. Uh, but we always appreciate everyone's support. And, man, I know that we've got some listeners who uh, started with us from the very start. Uh, and you know, I'll know who you are, and hopefully we've name-checked you plenty of times, because we do like to engage with the people that choose to spend their time listening to us. Uh, it does mean a lot. Yeah, and this is, you know, this, there's plenty, there's going to be a good chunk of it. There's probably, at the rate we're going to record these things, another fucking year left of this, but uh, it's just going to come out when it does. And so when you're, when you're like, ah, oh, I've, uh, that's odd. For uh, every episode of a uh, hardcore history of uh, industrial strength beer, there's usually a, a pot like a hole in there. And they really slowed down. Well, yeah, that's why we, we have. We've slowed down. Yeah. Uh, but uh, with that out of the way, um, we're going to get right into a little bit of housekeeping of what we've been up to by... Uh, uh, plugging holes and whatnot, but we're also going to be giving you a quick news bulletin. So, Stephen, what have we heard about? Yeah, have you heard this? Have you heard about this? The hosts of this show went to a couple of concerts recently, and all two, two of them were... Uh, were, were covered on this show before, the artists, and then one was just an artist that we should have uh, covered. So uh, I went and I saw The Mighty Behemoth in Sacramento. That was good. Finally got around to seeing them. And it was fun because it was in Sacramento. Uh, so I could drive there, see it at Ace of Spades, and come right home. So that was good. They got to finally see Nurgle. That was that was good. And then uh, last week, or no, two weekends ago, uh, I think it was two Fridays ago, I can't remember. Uh, shit, was it last Friday? It was last Friday. Uh, my wife and I went and saw Queens of the Stone Age in San Francisco, who we haven't covered in this show, but if, you know, if we had one more record, we would have. And that was fun. Um, it was a really good... You know, Queens of the Stone Age doesn't have any bad songs. That set list didn't have all the songs I would pick if I was the Queens of the Stone Age, but it was still a good show. Even if it was at the Bill and Graham Civic Center, which we've all been to together, and I think sounds terrible. It's echoey, that place. I'm just not a fan. Um, but it was fun. We got dinner, ran into a, 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 a random Sacramento friend, and also ran into COVID. Finally got COVID. Uh, I was the, the last holdout with not getting COVID. Um, I know it's different for everybody. 
My wife was smart enough to sign us up to get some of those Plaxovid pills, I think they're called. I can't pronounce it right. Plaxovid, whatever it is. And uh, we're all tested negative now. It, it lasted less than a week. So we had to, had to stay great. in the house with the kids all week. It got a little crazy, but now off, off to normal life tomorrow. So there you go, folks. Rock shows in the fall now. You might get COVID. It's just the life we're living. But uh, that, that's the show I went to. Uh, you guys went to a concert, and uh, when you when you drove back, you obviously planned that coordinated attack where you said, well, we're going to tell Steve we're going to cut down on the podcast. I, I pictured the whole thing. It was like, you know what? When they were driving back that night, they said, you know what? Let's just tell Steve we're going to cancel the show, and he's going to say, no, no, don't cancel it. We can go to one day a month. I do it. Okay. Coordinated attack. So besides that coordinated attack, um, uh. How was Peter Gabriel? Eric, you start. First of all, Steve, you're you're paranoid. That plax that plaxovid or that those the horse the horse worms you've been taking uh, to get over <laughs> COVID have made you fucking paranoid. But uh, <laughs> uh, dude, Peter Gabriel was well. That's amazing. the only that I I purposely I purposely keep you guys separate at all times. Like if they're. I yeah. I try never to let you hang out without me, and that's why. Classic cult cult power move right there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but Peter Gabriel was great. Uh, sounds like a million bucks. Uh, his band, he's got all his old like all his old favorites. He got Tony Levin on bass, uh, the drummer and guitarist. I the guitarist David Rhodes. I don't remember the drummer's name, but he's had them since since the uh, So Tour, and he pretty much um, split time between playing all of the big songs off so and um i think it was an anniversary too um for so and then playing pretty much all of his new songs um and then a couple other surprises in there uh growing up digging in the dirt um uh biko um he said a great the audio visuals were absolutely gobsmacking and um uh, hearing him just go into Sledgehammer, I, you know, it, it, it had the impact I was really just going for, and, and it, it definitely fulfilled. Um, I think Mark will agree with me. We talked about it afterwards that uh, the new songs are all really good, um, but he was really intent on playing all of them, and there's like four piano ballads on the new album. I think if he just could have picked one and either shortened the set or replaced them with other old classics, maybe from his self-titled albums uh, that would have been it but other than that no notes highly satisfying journey no opener he just played two sets three hours two encores it was wonderful yeah he shouldn't he shouldn't have an opener he's got too deep of a catalog was it in the um was it a, was he in the center of the arena or was he at the back on one side i couldn't tell from the photos he was on the back on one side. Um, I know that he has played concerts. Uh, I think on the last tour, the Growing Up tour, it was in the round, um, but not this one. This was towards the back. Uh, but yeah, I agree with Eric. Uh, you know, it was near three-hour show, and uh, they band sounded amazing. That was also the first time I've been to Chase Center. Um, you know, for an arena, uh, obviously they're never an ideal place to see a concert, but it was great. My ears were not ringing after the end of it, and it uh, was very well balanced. Uh, Peter Gabriel, though, between songs, he does like to banter, uh, kind of talk and segue into the next song. 
Uh, and at times it was a little difficult to hear him. Uh, when he first came out on stage, uh, he comes out wearing like a paperboy hat, you know, one of those flat hat numbers and just like, oh, hello, you know, taking it off. And he just they don't like burst into song immediately. Uh, he starts monologuing for a few minutes and something that's out of a Disney live action stand up or, you know, Broadway show, like a little light comes down. He catch, he pretends to catch it and then lights a campfire with like a wand. It's some true Harry amazing. Potter that's stuff. Amazing. That fucking sounds like you got your money's worth right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> went into Star Trek five at, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And then uh, slowly the band starts walking out and they all sit down on what looks to be around a campfire uh, behind them. The giant full moon starts and then, you know, they start kind of jamming. And then their second song uh, he played was Growing Up, which is one of my favorite latter day uh, Peter Gabriel songs. And instead of it having a very visually accompaniment, it was just very subdued. Uh, the band sounded fantastic, though. Uh, it was kind of a little stripped down, but not as stripped down. Um, uh, it was somewhere in the between. But the show itself, it was fantastic. Seeing the old wizard was uh, certainly a, uh, a bucket list moment. Um, you know, I always kind of appreciated Peter Gabriel, but then when we started talking about it, and you know, one thing about this podcast that has really changed the way that I listen to music, it almost enhances everything that I used to just pass over. But now I have more of a critical ear because of how we describe music in this uh, in this little show of ours. Um, I was noticing that as I'm going through a U2 thing because the Sphere concert also kind of radicalized me and trying to re-engage with that band, even the stuff that I never really quite liked. But anyhow, Peter Gabriel was amazing. Uh, Eric, thanks for, uh, you know... Hi, uh, coming along with that, Stephen. I know that uh, you weren't able to make it, but uh, it would have been great. And I think I, you know, I even said this to Eric. There were probably times that you would have been like, "All right, man." I think uh, even though you really like Peter Gabriel, it would have been really nice, like Eric was saying, to hear uh, old songs like "Shock the Monkey," mm-hmm. uh, "Games Without Frontiers." Um, I think the oldest song that we got was "Salisbury Hill," which is you know to be expected to be played. Right. Um, you know, that's but that's funny. That's it. That's funny because it sounds like Peter Gabriel played way too much new stuff. But at Queens of the Stone Age, whose new album I I think might be my favorite album of theirs by now. Or the second. The second. They didn't play enough new stuff. They played like four new songs. I could have used way more. Um Yeah. Well, there you go. But but the the two new Peter Gabriel songs that we've I think I briefly mentioned on the show, uh The Court and uh, four horses or different, four different horses. Uh, those two four kinds of horses. Four I kinds think, of horses. Yeah. yeah. Those two songs were knock you out of your seat. Good live. It was, it was really cool. Very cool. There are yeah. four kinds of horses and everybody. I, I, there was also uh, what helped open up the second set. Uh, they dropped down this like screen that Peter Gabriel uh, during uh, uh, love can uh, heel, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which was really cool. It's a slow ballad, but that one was amazing. Like he was like painting on the screen in real time, and was creating like these light trails. Uh, it was great. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, it was he, cool. They, they yeah. were like live. They were like live animating. He had like a wand, and he was doing stuff, and they were live animating it over the screen. It was, yeah. It was. It was. It was a, yeah. a, a feast for the eyes and ears. It was great. 
I mean, Eric and I were likely the youngest people in the audience, but uh, as I said, Eric, it looked like a dentist convention broke out. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a it couple was a, of, and they brought the ladies from HR with them. Yeah, a couple, <laughs> a couple, a couple like older white ladies in in cheetah and African print. Not not a good look. And then uh, you had a, a couple younger guys, but they all had something. Sounds good to me. The, <laughs> Uh, a couple uh, uh, younger guys our age, uh, hefty, hefty fellows with big beards, bald heads, and tool shirts. So you know, you know they were there for the Genesis songs, which they didn't get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, it was good. Move us along. What else have we oh, that, heard? That was the uh, the live news. The old people saw live shows. Yeah, there's some other news. Um, uh, recent or not recent? Uh, previous. Topic: uh, Judas Priest. That's not why they're in the news. They had a new song that came out last Thursday called Panic Attack. Panic Attack. Judas Priest is a new song called Panic Attack. And I tell you, I listened to it five times in a row, maybe six. I had when I when I got through that song the first time, I almost had a panic attack. It was so good. But the new Judas Priest album, Invincible Shield, is as good as this song Panic Attack. It's going to be a five star ranger. Panic Attack. Did either of you listen to Panic Attack? Uh, no, I can't. No. I, I did not, but I cannot avoid it any longer after that review. I'll check it out. Yeah, please. Mark, have you? Uh, I haven't Panic listened Attack? to it yet, but uh, uh, is it? I mean, Judas Priest, that episode surprised me of how um, I uh, really got into that record and uh, some of their other work. Um, it kind of reminds me, hopefully, I haven't listened to it, but I'm hopefully that I'm going to be met with the same sort of excitement for it when Iron Maiden came out with their uh, new record a couple years ago or last year. That Siren, the, the Samurai one. Senjutsu. Uh, that's that's the one. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll put it on the old playlist. A good song, Panic Attack. And uh, let's see, uh, not a lot of other news uh, what's more boring than saying that somebody guessed it on another podcast, but I guess it's worth noting that a friend of the show, Les Claypool, had an in-depth interview on the WTF podcast with Mark Marin. That's worth checking out. I just bring it up because I, I can't think of many long-form audio interviews with Les. And also, the other half of it was uh, Mark Rebo, recent topic who we discussed in the Tom Waits episode. So if you want to uh, do a one-two punch... Uh, Primus and Tom Waits-ish uh, interviews. Go listen to that episode of WTF. It's always just fun to hear Les talk that Roger Waters' son is now oh, yeah. in the Frog Brigade. And yeah, um, when Mark Marin asked, does he talk about his dad? Uh, Les <laughs> gracefully sidestepped that. <laughs> yeah. Like how him and his dad get along. And he's like, no, not, not touching it. That's it for the, it's a slow news week. 
We're gonna have to move on to the plugs. Eric, we're going to start with you this week. What are your recommendations? I do like check out the, you know, best of 2023 so far lists to see if there's anything that kind of overlaps with my taste that I, that I slept on. And, um, it's I like three I months do, left this year. I know there's a lot of time for good stuff oh. to come out, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I like, uh, I do enjoy my shoegazy music. I'm not always in the mood for it, but when I'm reading, or sitting, you know, sitting in a nice, like, little sunny afternoon. I, I, I enjoy it. Um, and Slow Dive released a new album. Um, Take it uh, easy. This year. <laughs> uh, wrong band. Everything is Alive is the album by Slow Dive. Of course, Slow Dive is, is kind of one of those unsung shoegaze heroes uh, from the 90s. Um, Brian Eno produced one of the records. Um, always just great rising action, but still like calming fuzz that you like out of, out of, out of shoegaze. Um, and the, the, uh, the singers, the two singers, guy, girl singers, their interplay is, is, uh, is very satisfactory. I enjoy it. So that new album, uh, top marks for me, really good. Um, also, uh, on the pop end, um, I enjoy, uh, there's a couple uh, pop singers that have been industrial adjacent, some of them a little bit cheesier, but one that's always been pretty earnest and true blue. And um, she's done, she does her own beats. She does, she's actually a pretty genius synth player, does her own, um, does her own beats and did a lot of very Nine Inch Nails inspired music early on and has kind of gone away from that into her own kind of spacey realm. But her name is Kanga and her new album is Under the, Under the Glass. And it's a, it's quite a feat. Very good, uh, poppy with some electronic parallels. I, I like it a lot. So those are my two. Kanga, under the glass. Mark, have you listened to Kanga's Under the Glass? No, um, I, I have not. I have not even heard of this person. I think actually, no. I check that. I think Eric, you may have brought this person up at some point earlier in a previous episode it sounds yeah. familiar or maybe that was through a conversation that we had i don't know it was probably uh, in the writer's writer's room i uncovered in one of her earliest songs it's an interpolation of somewhat damaged so uh anyways go on oh okay so my recommendation uh i don't know if i've ever really like talked about the band um I know we always joke about it that, you know, Bono's one of my guys. Yes, sometimes no. I mean, the man himself. Uh, I even said this in the writers' room because uh, let's just give you some all context. The three of us plus Joe uh, Vera, good good man, 
guests on the show. Look at the five year gap episode if you want to. Um, we got together and uh, you know, I decided to play a little little parlor game called this or that, um, or gun to your head. Which one are you picking? Whatever you want to title it. Uh, so we'd kind of square them off between two different things. You know, of course, you got Blur versus Oasis. Uh, and uh, we won't say the vote on that, but I think it was two to two. Um, but I asked you two uh, versus REM. And Joe, uh, who's sitting right next to me, was almost uh, very aggressive about how much he hated you two. <laughs> <laughs> like wanted to almost like probably throw a drink in my face <laughs> and, and uh because <laughs> you know I, I even though i really like rem uh i think i'd you know answer you two to that eric was like those don't seem to be an out you know same same but i'm like yeah ish um can't even anyways, name I, I can't even name 10 rem songs so that's that's, I, I was, you know, Steve, get out of my brain because I wanted just going to throw him like, all right, besides you know, losing I my think, religion, what else you got? I really yeah. like a few. Like, I really, really like a few. I think losing one of my religions, an all timer <laughs> among a few yeah. others. But I put a gun to my head and say, name 10 R.E.M. songs. I'm like, well, shit, better, better <laughs> guess a few, better guess a few and hope they were R.E.M. and they weren't the replacements that wrote those songs. So. <laughs> I don't know where I mean Eric uh was definitely playing Switzerland. He was a flagpole sitter like Harvey Danger warned us about. Um but uh I I uh have been listening to some YouTube stuff as I had mentioned earlier that sphere stuff has really uh got me uh, intrigued to go back and re-listen cuz it's been a few years. And those early records uh Boy War October, yes, even October, kind of a uh, a down album uh, as a sophomore slump goes, but uh, I still think it's got some gems on there. Um, War is a masterpiece. Uh, that is a great record. Um, I will take that to my grave. The song New Year's Day, Sunday Bloody Sunday, Forty, um, just so good. That might be their most unstoppable record. Um, and of course, the Joshua Tree. That album's a monster, uh, and then which kind of ended up consuming you uh, two into uh, their excessive Octune Baby, Zuropa Pop, the Passengers uh, soundtrack that I finally uh, got around to listening for the very first time because it was never on the streams until now. The Johnny Cash song on it, doesn't it? Or is that something else? Zuropa does uh, the Wanderer, great song. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I was lo- reading about the Passengers side project, um, I guess Axl Rose was a big fan of that album by U2, uh, where he, while he was making Chinese Democracy, a uh, friend of the show, Chris Vrenna, uh, mentioned that he was just obsessed with wanting that Chinese Democracy to sound like the Passengers' original soundtracks. That one had the song Miss Sarajevo with Luciano Pavarotti, on it um so i found that to be highly amusing and larry mullen the drummer absolutely despises the fact they ever released that passenger's record uh so good stuff um and i will be a defender to my dying day that the album pop is not a bad album it is a actually a pretty damn good album uh i am like one of the few u2 fans who will wave that flag uh, the song Discotech has uh, some amazing guitar work, and I won't hear otherwise. Um, 
And of like course, Mark, that was around the era of. Mark edged in a little, a little mini micro U2 season in his uh, plugs tonight. I appreciate that. I actually really appreciate that 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 chest. Let him keep going. <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh... I had to get it all out. This is it. This is a, there's not gonna uh, be this is it season. because we're not yeah. going to be talking about you two at any point on, yeah. on the show after that. But yeah, I defend you two. Yes, they've done some really stupid things. Yes, they've got a, uh, a hill of bad songs that are very cringy to listen to. Looking at you, Uno Dos Cotorce. Um, but uh, they have an absolute uh, just a Mount Rushmore of great songs. Uh, you just, you can't help but love that. And sorry, I think most people who don't like you 2 just don't like Bono. And that's completely understandable, but that's my piece. You, you actually said that when we were driving up. You were like, I have a theory that people that don't like you 2 are just have a picture of you 2 as Bono post 2002 or something like that. Like you said something like that. And I was like, actually, yeah, that actually applies to me. Like I, I'll, I just picture Bono in his Oakleys, in a leather jacket, singing on the rooftop, uh, which annoys me. But I go back and listen to those albums you just mentioned, and they're they're, they're glorious. There's glorious moments, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, and trust me, I mean, even as a pretty big U2 fan, I would like to see them one more time. Uh, I always say this fucking guy just cannot stop stepping on his own dick. Um, but yeah. but yeah you too my recommendation give him another shot if you're a hater um i at least say listen to the album war i think we like to use our our, uh privilege on this on this podcast to lift up little bands that don't have a lot of spotlight so thank you for that mark yeah i'm not (laughs) sure i mean i'm like coming into my classic rock dad phase where I only listened to like anything that was just from the 1990s or eighties. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I will piggyback off Mark's plugs. I can't remember if I ever brought it up on this show before, but I often listen to uh, Chris Cornell covered one by U two and one by Metallica and he mashed them up. Just go type it into your Google and it'll come up or iTunes. I listened to it a billion times. I know Mark's listened to it. I, I find his cover of a one and one smashed together. It's the, the melodies of U2's one with the lyrics from Metallica's one. And it's live. And what I love about it, in addition to the song just being good, is you can hear the audience as they pick up on what he's doing and start to be like, all right. Like they, they they're just. Uh, yeah, that's good shit. So but, uh, yeah, if you want Chris Cornell, Metallica and U2 smashed together, you can find it. That's not my plug. My plug is uh, I watched the movie, uh, a Halloween movie. I like to watch the spooky movies around Halloween, but I'm very particular. I, I really like some horror movies a lot. 
but I don't watch horror movies all the time. And then uh, time's always at a premium. So if I'm going to sit down and sit through something, I want to I want to pick stuff that I like have a pretty good chance. If I haven't seen it before, it's going to be good. And that's tough with horror. If you're not a horror person, I mean, you might just get screwed. Um, I watched two things, actually. Uh, one was a movie called Barbarian, which is a recent horror movie uh, from like last year. And I had no idea what it was about, but I heard from all the people that it was good. And I stumbled upon it on uh, HBO Max, or Max as it's called. And um, I thought it was cleverly done. And it has three like different set pieces that all end up tying together. And uh, has a weird, I don't know, socio-political commentary about class warfare maybe I, I don't know but uh it was good eric you've seen it you you, you agreed with me the barbarians worth people's time i love um, it i love i i absolutely loved it um in addition to it being kind of in that flair of a lot of new horror that's atmospheric character-based funny um what really got me in the scariness factor was the uh just so much of it takes place underground in a house going through tunnels where you don't know if anybody's going to find their way back. Yeah. Like that shit, that shit scares yeah. me. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just the idea. You could take all the, yeah. you could take, I think it's batshit crazy. Uh, but the really scary stuff for me was all of the subterranean shit. Yeah. You could take a, uh, you take all the monsters out of a movie and all the creepy and the, craw- the, the crawly people and just have a tunnel and you don't know where it goes deep underground with no lights. That's <laughs> just the most frightening thing in the world. Yeah, it was it was good. Barbarian. I, I recommend it. I don't want to say too much more about it besides the fact that there is a big swerve early on. I wouldn't call it a twist. I just say you're expecting one thing to really happen and one person to be something, and they're not that something at all. And then I also watched, which I enjoyed thoroughly, was In the Mouth of Madness. John Carpenter movie starring Sam Neill from 1995. Uh, I think I think early to mid 90s horror movies are really fun. I think a lot of it's just nostalgia from being a kid and seeing them sitting there on the uh, the VHS racks. This one is pretty well known to H.P. Lovecraft uh, uh, spin homage, if you will. Uh, it's kind of like if you were to take there's a writer in it. And if you were to take Stephen King, H.P. Lovecraft and actually Frank Herbert, not Frank Herbert, uh, the Scientology guy, the Dianetics guy. Who the hell is it? I forget his name. L. Who's Ron the, Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard. If you were to take L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, if you're, yeah, if you were to take L. Ron Hubbard's ability to drive his readers a little crazy, H.P. Lovecraft's uh, tentacles and fish people, and then the uh, the pop culture iconness of Stephen King and smash him into one character. You've got the uh, the antagonist of this movie, and then you've got Sam Neill as a insurance uh, investigator of all people, trying to figure out if uh, all the people who are reading his books are they really going crazy for real, or is it just all a stunt from his publishing agency, which is run by Charlton Heston. Um, I loved it, and it's a good John Carpenter movie. He does the music, he directs it, somebody else wrote it. Sam Neill is awesome in it. I think Sam Neill is always fun. And I think Sam Neill actually, you know, he doesn't play a lot of proper leading men. uh, Jurassic Park aside. But when he does, it's usually a little off. I mean, there's this. 
There's um, Event Horizon, which is another uh, kind of spooky space horror movie. Uh, Sam Neill's always a good time. And I highly suggest In the Mouth of Madness. The movie cover does not do it justice. The movie cover is like a weird blur of a book. They should have uh, picked something else. But In the Mouth of Madness. Have either of you enjoyed In the Mouth of Madness? Yeah, I... I'll quickly say no. Um, I, I'm not as much of a John Carpenter fan as uh, the two of you. I think that he's put out some really great stuff. Um, I just don't follow the entire filmography. I do remember seeing the preview, uh, I think, in 1995. Uh, I, I vaguely remember. I don't know what movie I actually went and saw, but I do remember seeing that preview uh, in theaters. And uh, Sam Neill, I think, coming off of... Uh, Jurassic Park was still trying to ride a little bit of leading man wave. Yeah, I, I, I also watched it for the first time recently. Uh, Criterion Channel is doing their 90s horror curated collection. Um, so you can watch Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight and follow it up with In the, in the Mouth of Madness. I, I liked Mouth of Madness quite a bit. Um, I love it when they do like a it's like a big stakes end of the world story, but it's based around a very small story that you could see the implications are the end of the world. Like that to me is very creepy. I enjoy that. Um, and uh, funny enough, as I was watching it, I was kind of like, what the, cause like, this was like the last really good Carpenter movie. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it was the last. Really uh, good I think one. Might be... Yeah. From there, and from I there looked... it's vampires, ghosts of Mars, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, Village of the Damned remake. And so I was like looking around and I was like, oh, fuck. Right before this, he did Memoirs of an Invisible Man starring Chevy Chase. And Sam Neill, I believe, was the antagonist in that movie as well. Uh, so yeah, John was. Carpenter was on a Sam Neill kick uh, also. So anyways, but I can't recommend that one enough uh, as well, Steve. So we are simpatico. Wonderful. Well, that's enough news and plugging and PSAs. Let's get to the uh, the meat of the episode. talked about faith no more their album angel dust and we we almost debated skipping this because we've been trying to cut down on the ancillary episodes we've been trying to cut down on the discography episodes but with mike Patton, it's almost impossible it's you know or you talk about faith no more you have to talk about mike Patton, and then he's done so much we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't dive into his discography a little bit um, we're not going to go over every release. That would be a podcast into it itself. Um, there's way too many side projects, way too many guest appearances to catch them all. Uh, I mean, even even with Faith No More, Faith No More, I learned, and I said this in the last episode, like they they have a huge presence on the internet. Not them, not at all, not them. 
but just the fandom. And there is so much literature and analysis, interviews. Uh, there's a podcast out there that covers every song called Podcast Croissant. Um, if you and if you think we ramble a lot, those guys give us a run for our money. My God, get to the point, fellas. Yeah, there's a lot of you know between Mike Patton and Faith the More that that could be your season four, but it's not going to be. Um, anyhow, we 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 are going to talk about Mike Patton tonight, and we'll start in a moment by going over the other Faith in the More albums, and we'll go. What we'll do is we'll cover the major multi-discography artists he's done. And then some quick brief hits on uh, some of his guest appearances. And that'll be it. To do it properly would take us eight hours. We will move quickly. And uh, maybe just give you a taste to get you to maybe dive in more. Uh, but before I do that, and it's a, it, I, I want to ask a question. And you're going to have very different answers. Because Mark and I are well-known patent heads. And Eric is a... Uh, Eric enjoys himself some Patton, but he's not a uh, Patton nerd. So what do you think is the reason why there are so many Patton fanboys out there? Mike Patton nerds, Mike Patton discography nuts. What do you think it is about him that lends himself to that? Because I got to like sit uh, almost as long as Mark and I have been friends. We've been Mike Patton uh, nerds, if you will. And uh, working at a record store, we quickly, quickly met other ones and they're out there. So I'll start with you, Eric, the guy who's not preaching to the converted. From the outsider looking in, what do you think it is about the Mike Patton discography and the whole Mike Patton vibe that lends itself to having so many acolytes? <laughs> uh, well, listen, I, as far as I can tell, dude is charismatic. Um, he aligns himself with a lot of top, top-notch people in various genres of music. Um, and at least for a while there, was keeping things very interesting at a quick clip. Um, so if you were following him, you were exposed to not just a lot, but a lot uh, of the top players in certain genres. So he's got a lot of acolytes, probably mostly dudes, uh, but a lot of acolytes. Um, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I think with Mike Patton, uh, because I certainly was very enamored with how he approached um, like the music industry, uh, approached any sort of sense of fame um, just differently. Uh, instead of uh, not being able to... Um, I don't know. It's just, it seems like a lot because yeah, Faith No More back in their day, uh, they had some uh, epic and the album sales for the real thing uh, really did take off and kind of create this whole uh, uh, persona for him in the, in, in the spotlight. I would never say that Mike Patton is like going to be selling out arenas though. Um, he's definitely uh, keeps his um, audience rather spread out i think that um but he he doesn't necessarily um he's not like at a level where he's considered an icon if uh, you know like what you would expect some of these bands that were on the rise um no more popular than like let's say a les claypool or something like that but never gonna reach the the levels of a peter gabriel to kind of do a callback where he is selling out arenas 
and he does have like this weird following um and kind of similar because they also like started their own little record label um but anyways i will say what has always made me appreciate mike Patton is the guy seems like sort of a hyperactive asshole with a little bit of uh humor that just appealed to me uh you can certainly hear his influences like uh very big into ennio morricone uh you can hear it uh he's very big into just strange outsider music uh where he's even created some of that and it can be a little bit of a hard soup to swallow uh but I don't know. I mean, I think that his output creatively has always been of a high quality, um, even when he is putting out absolutely self-indulgent, masturbatory work like Adult Themes for Voice or some of the work that he did with John Zorn. In my view, in my view, sorry for John Zorn fans out there. Um, but I will say that, uh, you know, over time, uh, I, I don't know, we'll get into it when we talk about one of his projects, uh, but I, I will always, you know, wave his flag and appreciate his antics. Uh, but now uh, to a certain extent, um, as I age and kind of seeing his maturity level is still where it's at, uh, sometimes I kind of question what, what's going on there. Um, but I do have to say, um, when he was at his peak in his prime, uh, he was an absolute creative hurricane. And uh, I, I don't know if we're still in that prime. Uh, you know, things change. But maybe certain people still think that he's just putting out quality work. I don't know. We'll find out tonight. Um, but yeah, that's my take. Why Mike Patton has such a following um, is because he's uh, Captain Weirdo and he's leading an army of weirdos. Yeah, he's Captain Weirdo, but I think that's part of the thing is that but he's immensely talented. That vocal like range oh, yeah, that, that he that, has, exactly. unbelievable. He could, he could be, he could have been a superstar if he wanted to. Um, and then when he reigns it in and he does sing classically and whatnot, it's uh, incredible. Um, and I think that's part of his appeal is that, like the guy could he, he could have been a contender if he wanted to but he definitely did not I mean they were right there too Faith No More was right in the precipice of superstardom with that ridiculous like 1989 1990s MTV he's like a poster boy they could have kept going in that direction and imagine if he would have a uh, you know, maybe they would have been the next uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know. Um, thank God they didn't end up being that. But um, yeah, that's a great point, Steve. And I'm sorry that I I didn't bring that up. But that's like a perfect like co-agent like trajectory that was happening at the time. Yeah. 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 But I, I think it's yeah, I think it's the, the fact that, yeah, he has that weird sense of humor. Um, I do think he's genuine, though. I think that appeals to a lot of people that like you don't you don't be that weird and not care about selling records if you're not a genuine individual. But he's got the voice to back it up. And then he always manages. I mean, 
when we go through his discography, he manages to pull in players that usually are nothing to sniff at. And, you know, it, it's if you are the company you keep, well, he keeps some great company. And that's almost like, you know, the Nintendo seal of approval in the old NES games was like, oh, well, Nintendo blessed it. Well, if Mike Patton, you know, put an album out with these people, it's probably chances are it's pretty good. Now, at a certain point, you're going to end up buying something like. Uh, uh, I will talk about some tonight where you're like, I don't know. I spent money on that. That's too bad. But I think the hit rate was definitely it's definitely high with him. Uh, more be- more good than bad, even even with like the a, a ridiculous output. Um, but yeah, you take you take his talent, you take the backlog that that the, he does have, and you just you know chances are something's going to be pretty good. Um, even like this most recent Dead Cross record, I was really impressed with it. And I liked it more than the first one. Um, even Mike Patton phoning it in is still usually good, but when he's engaged, it's usually really good. It, for some reason, this guy that was in Faith the Moore and Mr. Bungle, he, they started Ipecac Records, and I feel like everybody just gave him a chance because he deserved it. And more often than not, I think it's been rewarded. I don't know if any of us really answered the question about why does he have such a following more than Mark. I think it's because it's a tough question to answer. He's, he's a weirdo. He shouldn't have a following. Uh, and I And I wonder... If he, you know, is it because he has those those good looks? Like if he looked like one of us, would he have such a following with that voice? I don't know. Like the voice plus the good looks plus the sense of humor, plus luckily having one of the biggest radio rock songs of all time, uh, ended up turning into a, a career that uh, has a lot of longevity. So it's it's a mystery. Uh, your writers or, or, or listeners, write in. You tell us why is uh, Mike Patton such have a a, a long adoring fan, fan base, some of which are great musicians themselves, some of which are very annoying human beings. For the most part, I'm glad. I'm glad to be a part of them. I've got many great memories of being at shows with those people. That was like a weird mix of music fans that you wouldn't find at many other shows. So, without further ado, let's talk about some of these Faith No More records that came out. Faith No More. We talked about in the last episode. San Francisco band. Uh, 
had a singer named Chuck Mosley, then had a singer named Mike Patton, had a big album named The Real Thing, had a great album called Angel Dust. Uh, the early Faith No More, the Chuck Mosley stuff, what's the early eight, early to late 80s, you had, uh, what was it? It was uh, Introduce Yourself and We Care A Lot. Eric, did you listen to any of the Mosley stuff? My friend, I listened to all of it. And by all of it, I mean all of Faith No More. And what I thought was most of Mike Patton side projects, but turned out to be maybe 60%. But I did listen to all of Faith No More um, and the Chuck Mosley stuff. Uh, you see the inklings of the, the, the seedlings of a uh, very interesting funk rock band. Um, some good guitar work, some good bass work. Uh, the, the rhythm section interlays you, you hear uh, Roddy Bottoms uh, new wave keyboard work which we talked about in the last episode that I love that elevates even the most drab songs and you have Chuck Mosley singing who unfortunately sounds like if Otto from the Simpsons fat <laughs> decided he was a lead singer uh, in a funk rock band uh some songs work with his almost ODB-like uh, uh, buffoonery, um, but most don't. Um, but, I, you know, it's a journey. It's a journey, and it's fun to hear the band come together. I actually like those first two albums. I don't listen to them all the time, but when I do, I actually think they're of a higher level of quality in my, than my mind lets me remember. Um, there's definitely some new wave stuff going on there. There's some pretty heavy stuff at, to- at times. I think Roddy Bottoms keyboards do a lot. There's a lot of there's like gothy keyboards at times. There's synthy stuff. There's a, a lot of like uh, he's he's filling in a lot of the margins around the goofy funkiness with some uh, good substance and atmosphere um jim martin's guitar work is pretty good on him uh yeah sometimes chuck kind of gets his own way there are quite a few songs from the first two records that are that if you dig for them mike Patton recovered fun to listen to but i don't think it's necessary um i actually think we care a lot sounds better with chuck mosley's he brings something to that song it doesn't sound right with mike on it um but i do like uh their I version i agree with that yeah, I think their version, they've, they've got a live version of, uh, I think, Chinese Arithmetic out there. And Annie's song are both good. Uh, from the first two records, though, yeah, you know, we we care a lot, of course. It's great. Um, Mark Bowen's a good one. 
as the worm turns that's one that you can find mike Patton on and uh, off their their second album i really like the the last two tracks blood which has kind of got like this great call and response bit with some keyboards and a song called spirit which has uh, jim martin in the rhythm section really going for it um yeah but you, you can tell the foundation for what they becomes actually there in those first two records they never would have got there though with uh, Mosley as a frontman. It just wouldn't have happened. Uh, Mark, you ever listen to those first two? Absolutely. I mean, um, for a while there, it was really hard to find their first album. We care a lot, um, which uh, was kind of their, I guess, anthem song. Um, that was the one that uh, it still gets played today. I mean, Mike it's, has no part uh, problem in, pulling out some Chuck Mosley songs, and it's in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three. So. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, and uh, but that's about it. I mean, it, it, you could kind of hear the the new wavy thing. Um, Billy Gould uh, is who I kind of consider the, the band's MVP, the one that really makes the room hang together. Um, I think we talked about that in the last episode. Um, but he was really influenced by uh, PIL, Public Image Limited. And uh, that's a band that I have a giant blind spot for um, and also a little bit of no time for. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that it's John Lydon from the Sex Pistols and I just do not subscribe to his buffoonery. Just go to so, just go for Big Audio Dynamite if you're in, in the mood for that flavor and you'll be you'll be rewarded. Yeah. Um, but him and Roddy uh, were, you know, the key players and kind of the backbone. And then Jim Martin. Uh, who you will remember from Bill and Ted's ex, uh, bogus journey where he comes out of the phone booth and yells station. Um, that's that guy wearing the granny glasses. Um, and uh, then you got Chuck Mosley, who, uh, you know, it sounds like he was on a bender uh, right before every recording. And, um, you know, and I believe that he got fired from the band after he got maybe in a fist fight with Jim Martin on stage. I, I, I can't remember the exact antidote, but it, it, it flamed out something very similar to that. Yeah. They, they decided um, he had to go, uh, they didn't release him by fax, like which what happened to Jim Martin years later. But, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but, uh, some of the songs that Steve indicated, uh, for sure. Uh, and song, um, Chinese arithmetic, faster disco introduce yourself is better than the, we care a lot. We care a lot. Just sounds kind of like a demo. Um, but they had some good songs. Uh, Mike Patton, uh, thought it was bad hippie music. Um, but he did actually like introduce yourself. Introduce yourself does have a little bit more punky elements rather than kind of guitar noodling. I think there was an acoustic song. Uh, was that that Mark Bowen song? If it is, it's actually so. pretty good. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And I like Jim Martin for the record. I think um, he brings some character to this band. Uh, I don't miss him because I do actually really like the records without him. Uh, but I will say that he brought a, uh, a character to this band. Um, and I think that him and Mike Patton, we're certainly trying to out character each other. And that's probably why Jim had to go, but uh, I don't that, know that, that is, uh, they actually did have the band did have like a, a character. I don't know to, to all that. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Jim, who's the, it looks like a, 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 a grandma mixed with the Hesher. 
And then you had, you know, <laughs> yeah, Roddy Bottom, who, yeah, you know, sometimes he was wearing like a white cowboy hat or he, he looked like a. Uh, Roddy Bottom sometimes ended up looking like one of uh, Bob Odenkirk's characters from Mr. Show that just woke up on your couch. Um, Absolutely. And then, you know, Billy Gold definitely looked like a bass player. I don't know how else to put it besides that. And um, Mike, Bo- I mean, Mike, yeah, take who's the, the bass player from Van Halen, yeah, uh, like uh, cut off his mullet and, or, uh, you know, keep the goatee thing. If, if Al Borland was a bass player, it would be Billy Gold. And there um, are four bass players in the world. There are only four. And <laughs> he's one Mike of Borden. Mike Borden looks the same from the first day of the band until yesterday. The, back there playing drums with his with his beard and his dreadlocks that go down to his ass. And then uh, there's Mike Patton, <laughs> you know. And then yeah. and once Jim leaves, it's a rotating cast of characters of uh, guitar players. <laughs> we care a lot was a it was a hit but i don't know it was that big of a hit yeah then the real thing comes out in 89 mike Patton's a singer now he's only like 19 years old yeah the guy is uh he's playing he's gumming he's he's mugging for the camera on mtv uh he looks like he's in on the joke but at the same time he's taking uh, uh just uh, he has no problem jumping in front of the camera being a goofball and uh yeah, I listened Dr. to the real Se- thing. Dr. Seuss hats during this era. Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss hats, hats. Full full body glove, tight uh, surfer attire. Um, you know, sometimes they'll wear a pair of uh, swimming trunks with a uh, suit jacket. It's, it's 1989, man. He, had, he was uh, wearing boxing gloves in the, uh, the epic video, in the Mr. Bungle. And that sort of wild antics, I know that Steve will get into this. But the whole thing with Anthony Kiedis, the feud between this band and uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers was because Anthony Kiedis thought that Mike Patton was stealing his style. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's the beginning of this shit. The, 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 Mike, the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers one sided, namely mainly Anthony Kiedis, one sided hatred of Faith No More and Mr. Bungle. And the fact that they're like, I don't know where this is coming from, but we'll play play into it is a. Uh, hilarious mr bungle like yeah we'll touch on it yeah yeah uh it ended up costing uh mr bungle money <laughs> the real thing i've listened to the real thing hundreds of times i think it's a great record i uh you know even though it came out in 89 i don't think it sounds dated really um i think it sounds good to my ears I don't always listen to it all the way through, but when I do sit down and listen to it all the way through, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Almost every song in here is good. Yeah, 
it's like a natural progression of their first two records, but then with the uh, vocalists, they can kind of take it to the next level. Um, I think it's an alternative metal masterpiece. I mean, even it sold a lot of copies, but it sounds a little bit more out there than, you know, whatever, Warrant and Skid Row, whatever else was selling at the time. Um, I, I love that this band of San Francisco art meddlers sold so many records. It's, it's amazing. Um, I think on it, you hear, you know, the five Mike Patton voices you're going to kind of get. You're going to get the, you know, the, the sinister snarl on some tracks. You're going to get that high pitched nasally sound sound in a lot of them. On the last track, you start to get that lounge lizard uh, thing. You can you start to hear all the Mike Patton stuff in its uh, younger form on there. I know when we think of that record, we mainly think of the high pitched Anthony Kiedis style rapping. But on some of the tracks, you get the other styles of uh, Mr. Patton. Um, it's 30 years old. It sold a lot. Like I said, they were MTV Darlings. The video for Epic was on all the time. They were on the MTV Music Awards. I think they were on Saturday Night Live. Um, you know, other other random notes on here. I always knew who Black Sabbath was, but I swear their cover of War Pigs is like made me a fan of Black Sabbath before I became a fan of Black Sabbath. When I found out that song was a cover, I was like, oh, yeah, that's Black Sabbath. I'm going to listen to more Black Sabbath now. Uh, the song Woodpecker from Mars. That was one of the first times an instrumental song kicked my ass as a kid. When I was young, I didn't realize that songs didn't need lyrics. Woodpecker from Mars, specifically the breakdown at two minutes and 15 seconds. Incredible piece of instrumental music. Um, and even the songs that I don't remember as much that I ended up upon this revisiting, like Edge of the World is great. It's a song called Underwater Love, which is just this goofy, awesome, funky song that I totally forgot about. It's a funky album, but it still also has a lot of weirdness and has some really good guitar riffs, great vocals. Uh, the real thing holds up. And I didn't even talk about Epic yet, and I'm not going to. I'll let you guys go and see if there's anything left to say about the song Epic. start then um so real thing it, certainly it's not my favorite brand of uh, mike Patton's singing styles um i think that yeah that upper register where he's rapping like you know like uh i i do think that uh we we still get a little bit of that percussive vocal on the next record angel dust where that's the one that really mike Patton, um his influence and his personality is more uh, on display on angel dust than it is here. Um, I don't know necessarily what he was trying to do because um, this personality of Mike Patton, uh, either it just goes into a different form where he's less goofy and more suave. I don't know. It just, there's, there's definitely a, a turn happening at some point soon. You will never understand it cause it happens to so cool, so hip, it's a right. It's so groovy, it's out of sight. 
I think um, I think it's a guy that's like 19 years old that doesn't know what to do when the cameras on him all this. Yeah, sudden, you know, like how yeah. am I supposed to act? I guess I'll just be a nutcase. You know, I hear some of that going on. Yeah, and I don't think that there was any stealing of Anthony Kiedis's style. It's just that I think that he had such uh, uh, not disdain because he wasn't like you know not enjoying the ride. But these are also like the height of the stories of him shitting in orange juice and him drinking piss and things of that nature. Things that um, also became the myth and lore of Mike Patton um, of what the gross shit that he would do on tour to like his other uh, touring band uh, mates. And uh, you know, like his antics were out of control during this part. And but I uh, this also spawned the only live album they ever did live at Brixton. Um, it has some great great live versions of these songs. But Steve's right, this is a great album. Um, it is definitely hard to rank, but we're going to do it at the very end. But I will say that um, even the song Underwater Love, it being probably my least favorite song on the on the album, it's still not a bad song. Um, and they're just able, the, the song The Real Thing is an epic song that is amazing. That one goes on a journey. And I think I'm right there with Steven. I think this made me actually want to... Uh, really give black sabbath more uh just more of a day in court um i came to this record later in life than steven but when i really started uh catching the mike Patton fever man was i just eating everything up with uh two big stirring spoons Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. And when we do our rankings, it's it's got a good place on my rankings. Um, I uh, can see why, uh, and I talk about this in our last episode, so I'll just make this quick, but I can see why the rap rock genre attributed a lot to Faith No More, Mike Patton specifically. Um, but, but like I said last time, I love how sparingly he uses his rapping. Um, it's there for momentum. Um, this one, he uses it more than he will ever again, but uh, it's it's mostly there for momentum. Um, and he was doing songs that essentially were written for, for Chuck Mosley.
production is I I felt like there's not a lot of low end, which is too bad because the the bass is so important to this band. Um, and so you can hear the snaps and the pops. You can hear that 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 Seinfeld bass. Uh, but, out of nowhere, man. That's yeah, how it starts. Yeah. But uh, you know, but 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 th- this one. Uh, so the song "Epic" gets the whole Dolby Atmos remastering. And it sounds great, and the bass sounds like it should sound, and it would be nice if the whole album doesn't have to be Dolby, but if it could just get that that if we give the get, render the bass a little bit. Um, but I do I do like it, uh, and yeah, that that song "Epic" is uh, not just a clever name. It's a wonderful song. Billy Billy Gold's bass playing. He's a great bass player. He's an amazing bass player, actually. I like. I, we probably said a lot. Like, I I think he's the. I think I think all of us have kind of said some version of like he's the the real like foundation for this band. That bass line of the the out of nowhere. If you listen to that bass line, it's an incredible bass line. It really gets going. It's ridiculous, and it comes out of no, from out of nowhere. That song. But yeah, and Epic, I mean, I, I love the fact that Epic became such a big hit. Uh, whenever I hear Epic on the radio now, it makes me smile. Whenever I put Epic on, I just enjoy every moment of it. I don't know why that song became such a massive hit, but I'm glad it did. We we talked last time about how like anybody that turns it off before the piano outro is done, they're a <laughs> serial killer. And um, everybody loves that song. Also, uh, just that guitar solo is so good, and it has like that distant like whale sound. 
love that whale effect. I don't know how else to explain it. Or like yeah. dolphins or something. You know, it's it's a great song. It's otherworldly. It's wonderful. So yeah, yeah. That made them that made them big stars, and then they made uh, Angel Dust, and they threw it all away. And we talked about that for four hours in the last episode. So uh, we'll move right on by that and go to King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, which is a record that came out in 1995. bought it on Columbia house and I got it and I felt it opened up to my ears to a lot of possibilities. King for a day fool for a lifetime has pristine production. And it also manages to cover so many musical genres. That's really, I think like if you were to take a lot of the Mike Patton nerds, probably a lot of them were faith in the more nerds. And King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime was like the first record where a lot of like teenagers were like, holy crap, you can do all this in an album. I can wait for you. Far away, my tree. It's all over for the world. It's all over for the world. It's all over for the world. 
it's uh, it's almost as eclectic as a Mr. Bungle album, which is fitting because Jim Martin was gone and Trey Spruance from Mr. Bungle is the guitar player on it. Almost as eclectic as a Mr. Bungle album, but not nearly as whiplash inducing. Um, you've got hard rockers on there. You've got what could be another radio hit on there with a Ricochet. You've got some ballads. You've got some crooners. You've got a Western song. You've got an epic outro song that uh, has a gospel feel to it. You've got some jazz in there. And all the while, it still sounds like an alternative metal rock band and sounds cohesive. I said all that off the top of my head without looking at notes because I listened to that record so many goddamn times as well. Uh, Eric, you're the newbie, and this is the one I wanted to hear your opinion on the most because I think King for a Day Fool for a Lifetime. Mark and I both were like, ah, should we have done that instead of Angel Dust? But we didn't. What do you think of that record? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, mostly I liked it. Um, it's, uh, I, and I and I had no exposure. As I listened to it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this song probably from working at Dimple, probably from living with you, Steve. Like, I remember the like songs here and there. But this was definitely my first run through. Um, there are some growing pains with a new with a new team, um, and some songs are more effective than others. Uh, I know Roddy Bottom was uh, in uh, rehab during a lot of recording, so his synths are not as present, and I think you can tell um, to that effect. I think some songs are a little dry, um, but uh, when he shows up. It, it definitely makes you stand at attention. Um, Patton's maturing as a singer. Um, you got some amazing tracks. Gentle Art of Making Enemies Goes Places. Um, Digging the Grave is definitely more of a meat and potatoes song, um, but it is a thoughtful use of their wackiness. Uh, evidence is like a smooth 70s funk jam. That's very cool. Uh, take this bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great song. That's very cool. And then of course the title track. And then you got Roddy's Sense in full effect. So good. Uh, The song Cookie for Kaka sucks ass. I'm sorry. That song is terrible. Oh, shit. uh, Cuckoo for Kaka. (laughs) That's great. Happy birthday. Fuck lives forever. That's right. I don't know. I didn't. No, that's not that. That's not that song. That's the gentle art of making enemies. Oh, you're right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Either way, Mark. Cuckoo for Kaka. But, uh, but. So it's not a perfect album, but I was very impressed. And um, despite uh, some of those low points, uh, this this ranked kind of high for me on my ranking chart. Someone gets a damn and it's just hilarious. 
The acoustic guitar on King for a Day, the title track, is amazing. That just strumming acoustic guitar. Um, Yeah. Mark, what do you think about this fantastic record? I mean, it is fantastic, but it also seemed like it was a nightmare to make. Um, So not only was Roddy in rehab, but he was also really dealing with... Uh, Kurt Cobain's death the year prior. Uh, mm-hmm. He was really, really good friends with Courtney Love. Uh, in fact, Courtney Love was one of the uh, one of the very first early vocalists to Faith No More. I'm sure that we brought that up and maybe in passing on that last episode. But that we did. trivia, I uh, just always amuses me. Yes. Um, but <clears throat> uh, Jim Martin's out. Trace Bruins is in. Uh, Trace Bruins uh, from Mr. Bungle. This one record, Patton recommended him. They needed a guitar player, and Trace Bruins uh, is a fantastic guitar player, folks. Uh, I think that uh, he's able to shift styles, something that Jim Martin probably wouldn't have been able to do, especially in the direction that they're going in. Um, so it really seemed like this was a uh, uh, Mike Borden and uh, uh, Mike Patton and Billy Gould situation here. And since Roddy was on the shelf and Trey was just a hired gun and they were able to probably be led by more of Mike Patton's personality on this one, how varied his uh, influences are, are all now being uh, stumped into uh, uh, this particular album. So it's, it's, it's so varied. I mean, you get some uh, metal on here, you get some alternative rock, you get some evidence where he's crooning at you uh, that likely was inspired by the success that they received with their cover of Easy. I could see that, well, I think our fans have come to appreciate this style of us, so let's let's do it our way instead of doing a cover. Um, but Trace Bruins uh, apparently uh, was expected to go out on tour with them. That didn't happen, and Billy Gould even said some uh, shit in the press that he called Trace Bruins a spoilt rich kid who did not want to tour. And uh, that actually created a little bit of acrimony between um, Trace Bruins and uh, Faith No More after that. Um, uh, this, this, and... this, this band is, there's a lot of catty bitches that live for drama in this band. I'm just, <laughs> just going to say. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, but yeah, there's some absolute all timers. Uh, and one thing about this, the sound on like such songs is like get out. Um, it was kind of around the time like bad religion was getting a little bit of um, actual mainstream success. Um, and it's it, like that, that punk sound um, was around this time uh, that was starting to get a little bit. And I feel that because that was a single, um, am I thinking of Ricochet? No, they're both both singles. Yeah, they're both singles. Um, but (laughs) 
Yeah, I think Ricochet was the one that I was thinking of where they're like, you even see in the music video, like Roddy is playing a guitar. Uh, it's like, okay, that clearly didn't happen, but you just have to be in the video. Um, so anyhow, um, it, it just kind of reminds me of like some of the songs that are more like that fast paced. It reminds me of a little bit more of that punk sound that you get out of bad religion during this time. Um, but yeah, great. I mean, the gentle art of making enemies. I always enjoyed that. Happy birthday. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Um, and, uh, it ends with just a man and it is an absolute bone chilling goosebump raising song. Um, it is so good. It's not a haunting song. It's just, I, it, it could probably be, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an amazing song, man was born, you know, the little spoken word. And then you yes. got the choir kicking in. It's just, it's an, um, an, an amazing track and a great way to end the album. Yeah, and I think the bass sounds great throughout the album, and I agree with Mark. Uh, Just a man. I first time I heard that song, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. To this day, when I put it on, I get excited because I know it's coming up. I think everybody should check out the song "Just a Man." Great use of a uh, a choir. And a few years ago, when After Fade No More reunited, they played this whole album live with Trace Bruins and Chili. And when they played "Just a Man," they brought out a whole. Uh, a choir full of like, I don't know, 19 to 24 year old uh, young female singers. And it's amazing. I will not touch you. I am just a man. Man was born to love. Though often he has sought, like Icarus, to fly too high. And far too lonely than he ought to kiss the sun of east and west and hold the world at his behest to hold the terrible power to whom only gods are blessed but me, I am just a man and uh, some of the b-sides were good too and, you know, Mark mentioned something. Uh, Easy. We didn't really talk about Easy in the last episode. Easy was a pretty big hit for them. They covered the Commodore's version of Easy. It was even tagged on uh, further releases of Angel Dust. Uh, they made a video. It sounds almost like the, like it sounds just enough like the original song, but it doesn't. To where you're like, is this even a cover? And it's a straight up uh like uh, Motown R&B cover of uh, Lionel Richie and the Commodore song, Easy. I love that cover of Easy. I put it on often. Uh, we don't need to go too in-depth, but how do you guys feel about their cover of Easy? No, it sounds funny, but I just can't stand the pain I'm leaving you tomorrow. I mean, it's great. What? It's it's crack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I love that part uh, where he goes, "I want to be." Like the right, part, yeah. The part where he goes, "I want to be high," and it even has the like, you know, 
as like this uh, rocket going into space sound. It's wonderful. And Jim Martin's and guitar right before, solo. It's great. And right before that, yeah, Jim Martin's guitar solo, like, ew. Yeah, yeah it's the best. <laughs> and the video is great. Yeah, the video is them I hanging did, out in a hotel with a whole bunch of uh, transvestites. It's wonderful. I think it's, I, do feel, I don't know I if do it's, uh, like that's I, the yeah. correct nomenclature, dude, but yeah. At the time it you. was, 1991. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, I do Go feel ahead, like. I expect Eric to song, correct me on that stuff, not you. Well, uh, we, we've been down, I, we've been down that road before. Um, but uh, I, I guess the question is, were they dressing like the opposite sex for, the night for kicks or did they identify as the opposite sex that i guess you'll have to you'll have to ask them but uh ask that Jim song Martin. easy the cover of easy uh is actually i that's a, a developmentally important song for me with my mike Patton faith more when i was like i remember hearing it at work and i was like oh this is good this is very good and and uh it definitely opened me up to the world of faith no more um when i heard it absolutely no wonderful king for a day or easy was good and so is king for a day full for a lifetime uh yeah and then moving on to the album of the year called album of the year came out in 1997 ish i remember when this one came out too liked it from the start um it's a really cohesive, solid album. It it doesn't go as zany as the others or the last one, especially. Um, it's not. It, it doesn't get us out there. It's kind of stays inside the margins, but still, you're gonna have songs like "Naked in Front of the Computer" um, or "She Loves Me Not," uh, where they're not normal like radio rock songs like naked in front of the computer is pretty heavy. And then she loves me. Not's kind of a jaunty little number. It's a easy on the ears. She loves me. Not's kind of the Burt Bacharach song on here. Um, but it's got, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's got some weirdness on songs like got that feeling with this weird, like Phantomos future vision of a, a vocal effect. Um, but then it's got some all-time classic tracks, like, of course, Last Cup of Sorrow, which is just one of their best songs of all time. Great, great Mike Patton vocals, great riff. The chorus is just boom. It's your last cup of sorrow. It's a sing-along chorus. The video might have gotten me an Alfred Hitchcock. It's a Vertigo homage. It's got great lyrics. Roddy Bottom's back, and he's doing great shit with these weird chimes on the keyboards. I mean, that song's great. The song Helpless is great. There's a song called Strip Search, which is a little subdued track, but then it's very haunting and has this just this ending that just makes you feel like you got caught doing something, which is similar to the video. 
And then there's a song called Ashes to Ashes, which is just straight down the middle. Almost too broad for Faith No More, but God damn it if it doesn't work. Ashes to Ashes is if Faith No More wrote a U2 song. Um, I really like this album. Uh, Eric, what do you think of it? Well, I don't want to spoil my ranking, but I'll ah. just say this is the best. This is the best produced album of their discography. Uh, I disagree, but strip okay. search. Strip search is is like a almost trip hop song. So cool. Naked in front of the computer is a shredder that I love. Ashes to ashes. Uh, that if you want to, if you want to boil down uh, Roddy's like synth string hits to maybe the perfect example, it happens in that song. Um, yeah, uh, last cup of sorrow, great. Uh, this is this is a fantastic album, which would be a f- it was a fake out, but a swan song fake out. Uh, they were they were it was a death rattle album for them, but uh, uh, I really like this album. Yeah, at this time it sounds like they, you know, the band was they they have always been as we said drum dramatic turmoil. It's, it's they had it just happened. And it sounded like it, it sounded I think kind of like Patton wanted to go do weirder things and they wanted to be a rock band and just getting together. I mean, if you think, you know, recording a podcast is tough, imagine recording a uh, record where you actually have to use your brain and talent. Um they were having trouble even getting getting into the same room. Uh, before I kick it to Mark, I should mention they had a new guitar player named Joe Hudson, who was their John. John Hudson, who was their guitar tech, who just said, I'll play the guitar now. And he's still in the band. Uh, when they reunited, he was in the band and on their what ended up being their next and last album. And uh, in the video for uh, Last Cup of Sorrow, Billy Gould wears a dress. very cutting silhouette um but i will say that album of the year uh holds up to its name i don't know how it was uh, received initially by the fans trying to recall because i did have a friend that was very into faith no more at the time that wasn't named steve it was louis um yes sir I think the fans liked it for the most part, but the press kind of was like, oh, Faith No More is back again. God, what do you know? Now, like, no matter how good this album was, I feel like the uh, the reputation in the media was just kind of exhausted with them. But continue. Yeah, um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, one thing that uh, was their first leadoff single was Last Cup of Sorrow. It had that uh, Vertigo uh 
you know, homage like you were talking about with Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, and we get some superior uh, Mike Patton acting in this video and strip search. That is something that he is certainly someone who likes to perform. And uh, the rest of the band, like Mike Borden, just being the janitor, eating a bagel uh, and sweeping the floor. Uh, and then there was like that one scene where like Mike Patton has like his hair in a spike yeah. and it's him. He's singing cross-eyed as well. There's all like, there's, yeah. there's some great, like I, there's actually some on, which is good for vertigo. There's some on the uh, shooting on location in San Francisco, some beautiful shots of locations in San Francisco, real places. Beautiful. Like there's this it almost does look like a shot for shot remake of Vertigo. Yeah, there's this there's yeah. this one courtyard of some hotel which is actually close to where I proposed to my wife. It just looks great the way they shoot it. But yeah, to Mark's point, uh, the, the old Patton, he's he's he's, he's a he's, he likes to mug for the camera and do weird shit and also act. And there's like these goofball parts where he's like raising an eyebrow and like spying on people, and it's just very <laughs> yeah, exactly. very very yeah. good acting. It's like Tex Avery Looney Tune shit. It's it's good shit. I mean, uh, I don't know if uh, we'll talk about Lovage, but there was some music videos for that that uh, he, he pulls into there. But, um, yeah, instead of them performing, it's them, like, you know, acting out a play. Uh, Strip Search is another one of those uh, miniseries types of uh, music videos that is great. Um, and I'm right there with Steven. It's moody as shit, um, and it just... It's it's a great song. Um, I think it might be my wife's favorite Faith No More song. Um, and then you got Ashes to Ashes. I mean, that song is uh, monumental. Give it all to. I mean, it's just so anthemic. I love it so much. The video is great. Um, it just it's this album is sometimes in contention for being my favorite. Uh, uh, it does start with a bang, like Greg said, that most of the Faith No More albums do with Collision um, and how it ends. Like, um, oh, wow, new. Yeah. Love that shit. Uh, I think this yeah. is a very complete. Pristina, is that what it's called? Yeah, Pristina. Yeah. And what I like about that, and here's what I like about this record, is even if he was. Paths of the, Glory, too, by the way. Let me just yep. give a shout out to the song Paths of Glory. Yeah, that's a good but one. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I think I cut you off, so you can cut me right back off. But. This record might be their most right down Broadway record, but who cares? It's still weird. It's still like this is not like they all of a sudden, you know, wrote just some. I, I I'm struggling for a comparison. They they Smooth didn't just write featuring Carlos Santana. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't, no, it wasn't it's still it. got weird shit. But then also, like I like <laughs> I I like, and this is and, and I like it when Patton does let his guard down and doesn't. Sometimes the guy realizes he can just be uh you know tap into real emotions. And that always shines through when he does. And I love it. Um, and yeah, Pristina is a very emotional way to end a record. And it's great. Um, I love it. It's a great closing song. It's a great song. If, it, if, it, if this truly was going to be their last record, it would have been a great last song. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good album, man. It's uh, not my favorite, but it's really good.
after album of the year? Uh, the decades pass, 17 years or so. They break up, and then they get back together in the late, around 2009. That was a big deal, because this was a band that I don't think anybody thought was ever going to get back together, and a lot of people like Mark and I were like, ah, oh, we got to go see Faith No More. And uh, we saw them at the Warfield, and it was a wonderful show. And I saw him again a few years later when my, I remember my wife had our, he's now seven. So he would have, it would have been like 2014. They toured again, I think. And uh, he was in utero and his first concert technically was Faith No More. So I always liked that. But I saw him a couple of times. And uh, Mark, did you see him that second time around or just that first time? Just that first time. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately. So yeah, they played they good tours. Everybody got a chance to see him. Uh, they were going to tour again, but Mike Patton's uh, agoraphobia post-COVID was too much to deal with, and they canceled a whole tour. What are you going to do? Yeah, mental health comes before aging rockers. But uh, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that then he's able to go on tour with Mr. Bungle. Well, he and probably so got, I'm just, he got better. I don't know I mean, who's... Oh, I'm glad that he got better. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But it doesn't sound like he's returning any phone calls from Faith No More right oh, now. Maybe he's not so a lot of people are speculating this is actually going to be it. Probably. And, you know, he probably was like, I don't want to go back. You know, I, I, I will play, you know, uh, the, the audiences I can handle right now are Mr. Bungle fans watching us cover an album no one asked us to cover or play. Uh, not adoring uh, festivals of Faith No More fans. <laughs> it's probably his threshold right now. Um, so yeah, they write soul Invictus comes out in 2015. Uh, I really enjoy it to me. It sounds more of like a mellow King for a day fool for a lifetime. I, I find it very adventurous. I think Mike Patton's vocals are probably the strongest on any of their records. I think because he's become a better singer. Um, it still sounds like butter to my ears. Um, I feel that this album really lets the songwriting breathe. A lot of I, I, it's not as claustrophobic as some of their older records are to me. Uh, the first single off of it was called Motherfucker, and that song is a classic. Corner in the market on the geese without the bones, hushing out the public in a strike without a drone. The cage became collapsible, our sticks with the stones. Get the motherfucker on the phone, the phone. Roddy Bottom and Mike Patton vocals on it, which is fun. There's a song on it called Matador. Uh, we will rise from the killing floor like a matador, which has some of my favorite Patton vocals in general. Sounds very convinced. And some of Roddy's luscious keyboards and some of John Hudson's most interesting guitar textures. Um, I'm a big fan of Soul Invictus. It sounds like a band that took time off. It sounds like old men that got 
you know, got they they were like they looked back at what they used to do. They did a new version of it. expecting for faith no more 17 years on down the line but this will do and it's not as uh this isn't as weird as some of the patent stuff coming out now and that's good because i don't want that to me it sounds more like uh it sounds like something in between faith no more and tomahawk i enjoy it eric how do you feel about soul invictus uh i need to live in it a little bit longer uh to but i my two songs that i wrote down were the two you called out um, as being exceptional. Um, and obviously they've still got chops. Um, I, I think the general pastiche of this album doesn't stand out as much as almost any of their previous albums, but maybe that's intentional. Um, just let the music speak for itself. Uh, but yeah, those two tracks, fantastic. I think I will swim in that album a little bit more, but, uh, that's that's my thoughts. Mark, you made a uh, a passing comment in the last episode that gave me a future vision. You were going to have less than glowing, remar- glowing remarks for the last Faith No More album. What's your opinion? I mean, it's not like my least favorite Faith No More album. Um, it's. It's one of those things that maybe, and I, I think I, I'm right there with you, Steve. It's kind of a cross between uh, his musical stylings of uh, Faith No More crossed with his musical stylings of some of his solo work, uh, namely Tomahawk, which is probably the closest of his that could actually come close to being Faith No More. Um, but I will say that... Um, just none of the songs really just stick to my ribs like some of their their previous work um motherfucker it's a good song i mean um i think that it's very entertaining um knowing that this is never going to be played on the radio because fuck radio doesn't even exist anymore um and then uh superhero i remember seeing that live on uh they were on the jimmy fallon show and uh jimmy fallon was like that was great sounds like plastic faith no more and i was like does it does it really <laughs> sounds good but like let's let's you know calm down just a little bit um, jimmy fallon was just uh pulling a card out of his pocket that as far as wrote answers he was for supposed. sure yeah i mean i remember seeing actually peeping tom uh perform i think on like conan o'brien or something like that so like yeah he was still getting like these late night uh you know uh, stages in order to do his little shtick on. So I think that was pretty cool. I never saw Tomahawk on any late night and certainly we're never going to see Phantom Moss on anything. Um, <laughs> but, Back to you, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, but I, I, I like this album just fine, but it is not going to be one of the ones that like I kind of consider not part of the true canon. It's just something that I, it's, I have a little bit of a bias on this because it's a reunion album, but I, I don't know. Um, it's not bad. It's just that for whatever reason, 
like I still cut Faith No More off at album of the year. And then this is just like a, yeah, we're still like around guys. And it's just sometimes those reunion albums just sometimes just kind of get pushed to the wayside. Like when Refused did a reunion album, good God, um, didn't even fucking touch that shit. Um, I think they did two of them. I, but anyways, um, <laughs> I, 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 of course, your opinion's fine on the quality of the record, but as far as reunion album, uh, yeah, no, a lot of times reunion albums suck. I would not place this with those. This is this is better than whatever the Pixies did when they got back together, or at the drive-in, or refused, or God knows who else. But all right. I get your point. <laughs> yeah, no offense to this record. I, I, I'm, I'm really. I think I'm being a little too negative here because uh, I do enjoy every 39 minutes of what's going on here. Like, I'm never like checking my watch. I'm never like, all right, put it on the pile. This record, it just it's for not whatever be reason, I have an emotional bias to it. I don't know. This record can't be offended. It doesn't have ears, and if it did, it wouldn't listen to this podcast. It's fine. <laughs> Mark, Mark has uh, division bell trauma. <laughs> momentary lapse of reason and just like les claypool said on mark Marin show that's I a good mean, record yeah the momentary lapse of reason i've been defending that record since i was seven um that doesn't need defending most people like it it's great um it's better than the, the division bell absolutely and that's, that's what i'll say yeah and here you are treating poor soul invictus like it's the endless river <laughs> very specific <laughs> joke very Perfect. specific joke. That is, <laughs> landed with me, buddy. Uh, uh, I love Pink Floyd. Um, all right. Soul Invictus, I like it. It's got a song on it called Sunny Side Up as well. Give it a shot. Thank you for listening to Pod Like a Hole. This was part one of two Mike Patton-centric episodes. Faith No More has a lot of ground to cover. And Mr. Patton has many other projects, such as Phantomos and Tomahawk, Dead Cross, Lovage, some work with the Dillinger Escape Plan, and, of course, Mr. Bungle. Couldn't cram it all into one episode. That's in addition to the Angel Dust discussion that is also part of this series. I did forget to circle back with the other two and get the rankings of their albums. So let's close out with a quick Faith No More album ranking from Eric, Mark, and myself. The uh, last place, uh, equally kind of last place, we care a lot and introduce yourself. Um, But then five, Soul Invictus. Four, uh, The Real Thing. Three, King for a Day. Two, Angel Dust. And one, Album of the Year. Can't help myself. Love the uh, layered production. Every song's ear candy. Um, mature, mature writing, mature lyrics. It's, it, works. it works for me. You know, what's interesting about that, Eric, is that Album of the Year upon release was no Faith No More fans' favorite album. But I think the sands of time have given it a appraisal that is decided 
it is a quality record, a high quality record, album of the year. More than just a name, it might have been the album of that year. Mark's record ranking is as follows. At the bottom, we care a lot. Six, introduce yourself. Five, Soul Invictus. Four, The Real Thing. Three, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. Two, Album of the Year. And one, Angel Dust. So Mark and Eric's rankings are exactly the same, except for the one and two have swapped places. That might be a case of Mark being an old head and Eric being a guy that's listening to this without nostalgia. Or myself at the bottom as we care a lot. Above that, introduce yourself. Coming in at number five is actually Album of the Year. Coming in at number four is Soul Invictus. Number three, The Real Thing. Number two, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. And number one, Angel Dust. But this ranking is a little misleading. I could swap Angel Dust and King for a Day anytime. I could swap Soul Invictus and Album of the Year anytime. The Real Thing has a big spot in my heart because of where it was, or where I was as a kid when it came out. So it's always going to be near near the top. Uh, albums one through five by Faith No More are all very high quality records. Anyway, you rank them. That's all for the Faith No More talk. Next episode, we'll talk more about Mike Patton's other works. I wish we had more time today to discuss the B-sides, unreleased tracks, and covers by Faith No More. Uh, there are so many great songs floating around that are not on albums. In the 90s, they put out a lot of great music. There is a whole world of great music there with Faith No More. One of the best bands out there, Shattering Boundaries, did what they wanted to do, made money while they did it for a little while, and it always sounded great. Seek out their cover of the Bee Gees, I Started a Joke. But we're going to close with their collaboration with the Booyah Tribe off the Judgment Night soundtrack, Another Body Murdered. This is Pod Like a Hole. Peace. Cause what they saw, they never seen or even heard of. And if they live, it's just another body.